This episode of American Sex Podcast is brought to you by Maud. Maud offers body-safe modern sex essentials like lube, condoms, and vibrators at getmaud.com. Now, you know me. I do not endorse anything unless it's something I personally use and enjoy. And let me tell you, Maud has earned my seal of approval. Their products are well-made and gender-inclusive, and I am absolutely in love with their water-based organic lube and silky silicone vibrator. I'm going to tell you exactly why I dig them in the mid-break, but in the meantime, check them out at getmaud.com, G-E-T-M-A-U-D-E.com, and get 15% off with code SUNNY. This podcast is not suitable for work. If you're under the age of 18, kindly and with all due respect, get the fuck out. I mean it. Go on. Bye-bye. Mm-mm. See you later. This isn't for you. No. Nope. America has a strange relationship with sex. We're obsessed with it, but it terrifies us. We censor it because it's constantly being shoved down our throats. But our dirty little secret is we like things shoved down our throats, especially when we're in bondage or we're wearing leather or being slapped around a little bit. And, oh, God. Mm. <clears throat> I'm Sunny Megatron. Join Ken Melvoinberg and I as we explore, dissect, and demystify American sex. Life, Liberty, and the Pursuit of Happiness. American Sex with Ken Melvoinberg and Sonny Megatron. Ken, okay, this is really fucking weird. It is. We are all the way across the country from each other. I miss you so much, sweetheart. I miss you too, but you know what? I what? get to lay diagonally across the bed. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to send me like a hand job over email or something. That was I was much more excited about the process of that than you lying down on the bed all by yourself. Oh, it's an, it's it is nice to sleep diagonal, but you know, after a while it's going to get old and then I'll be like, "Oh, I wish Ken was here to snore next to me." I'm yeah, now I'm here snoring next to the people here and they're yeah. laughing about it fortunately. So listeners, if you didn't hear last week, Ken is in Los Angeles for the next 2 months working on a new movie. So we are going to be recording our I don't know, next 2 months or so of intros remotely. So this is kind of a new thing. It's weird because I can't look into your eyes. I know you can't fart right next to me. I know. But you know what? Speaking of snoring, because we were just talking about snoring. Guess what I'm getting tomorrow, everybody? What, Sonny? <laughs> you represent everybody. <laughs> I'm getting a CPAP machine. I have sleep apnea. And you've been saying it for years, how like you think, you know what, Ken, I think I have sleep apnea. Yeah. I think I have sleep apnea. So now that you know it, do I never have to hear that again? Now you're like, I have sleep apnea. Now you can just state it proudly. You're also going to be not sleeping next to snoring. You're going to be sleeping next to Darth Vader. But I hear. Oh, I love when you flirt with me, sweetheart. I know. I know. I hear that you feel so much better when, you know, you finally get the machine after you've had apnea because apparently what I'm going to discover is I don't realize how exhausted I am because I'm only operating on, you know, the equivalent of four hours sleep or whatever every day. So I'm going to feel like I'm on some kind of speed medication and my life is going to change and I'm going to see Jesus. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Cool. What do you think Jesus will look like? <laughs> you. <laughs> that big old beard. Yeah. Hey, they need to make a, a Jesus movie with a new Jesus with short hair instead of one with just long hair. Kind of like Thor yes. in Avengers. I want black Jesus. What about black Jesus? Come on. Black Jesus with short hair. I didn't say he had to be white. I oh, said it's okay. he had to have short hair. 
Well, you said like Thor, and Thor is white. Yeah, but I was talking about <laughs> Thor because he changed his hair from old long hair to oh, like new short see, hair. I don't know. I'm not up on any of this. <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> Sorry. Hey, there's something really cool that everybody should watch, and it's superhero related. If you haven't seen it yet, the new series Cloak and Dagger, uh, which is based off an old comic book from the 1980s. It's from Freeform, I believe, and I'm not sure. I think it's ABC is the network it's on, but it's related to the Netflix properties, the Marvel properties that they have of the Defenders and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage. Uh, it's loosely related to that, but it's set in New Orleans. It's really cool. It, it addresses some of the issues of race that we talk about a lot on the podcast because one of the heroes is a young black man who wears a hoodie. That's his superpower is his hoodie. He's actually cloak. And it's fascinating uh, to watch this and see that uh, this comic book that they had from the 1980s sort of applied to modern day stuff. Oh, cool. I'm going to watch that now that I have total control over the TV. <laughs> you can watch whatever. You are the queen of the universe right now. I How does that totally feel? It feels great. Hi, everyone. I'm Ken Melvoinberg. And I'm Sunny Megatron, so far away from my husband, but joined together through technology. And through technology, welcome to episode 56 of American Sex Podcast, you American fuckers. And guess who this week's guest is? It's us. Yeah. Ken and I have decided to do a mailbag episode. Y'all send us voicemails and emails and questions on social media. So we've gathered them all together and we're going to answer them. So usually we let the guests do the talking and the answering and the teaching. But Ken and I are also sexuality educators. We've got our TV show on Showtime, Sex with Sunny Megatron, of course, this podcast. And we teach classes on kink and sex technique, like, you know, like how to give a better blowjob, how to find the G spot, all that stuff. We do private coaching, trainings for sex shop staff. We work with sex toy manufacturers. We do a bunch of stuff. So we also teach abduction and interrogation classes. So we do advanced BDSM stuff in addition to all the sexuality stuff. Mm-hmm. So all these questions that we've gathered up run the entire spectrum. We're going to talk about blowjobs, BDSM, issues about sex and relationships between partners, orgasms, and lack thereof, toys, and bunches of stuff. And in the future, if you have a sex question you want answered, you can send them to americansexpodcast at gmail.com or call in your voicemail to 773-MUFFTOY. Yeah, 773-M-U-F-F-T-O-Y. That's our number. But before we get down to the questions, guess what time it is? It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time for the new members of our Patreon family. Thank you for joining our family this week. Bruce, Keith and Loretta, Sarah, Rebecca, and Amelia. And especially I wanted to say thank you to Sarah for doing this. It really makes me feel great that you are supporting us and I super appreciate it. If you'd like to support this show and join our growing Patreon family, head on over to patreon.com slash American Sex. By becoming a member, you'll get all our episodes early, you'll get bonus content, stories from our guests, and more. And another thing you can do to help support the show that's absolutely free is write us a review, give us one of those five-star ratings, and hit the subscribe button on the podcast player that you listen to. Yeah, it all helps us. It helps us boost our ratings, and it helps us get the show seen. 
This is your last week to enter the August giveaway sponsored by Castle Megastore. You, yes you, can win an Ojoy Olive Silicone Vibrating Kegel Exerciser. Whoo, that's a mouthful. To enter, go to sunnymegatron.com slash olive, O-L-I-V-E. And you also can get 20% off select items at castlemegastore.com when you use the code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, at checkout. Uh, Ken, it's a mouthful. You're actually not supposed to put them in your mouth. It's a vagful. <laughs> that was a total dad joke, wasn't it? Or vag joke. Is it was a, a vag thing? A punny vag joke? Or, or it could be a dad vag joke. Oh, okay. I like this. So uh, are we ready to get on to the questions, Ken? I think we are ready to get on to the questions. I know this is weird, but I like to be choked while I'm having sex. I've only done it a couple of times, but I'm not sure how to do it exactly safely. Do you have any tips? Um, first and foremost is unless you've had a class or two or have done martial arts of some form or are a medical professional, choke play is one of the most unsafe things that you can do. However, a lot of us are going to try this stuff anyways, and I would say the best way to facilitate that, first and foremost, if you're going to try this with a partner and you don't need to feel the hand around your throat, simply holding your breath until you have oxygen deprivation is the safest way to do that. I am not recommending that you do it for legal reasons. I can't say, hey, go choke yourself. Um, but it is something that if you're going to do this anyways, that's the safest way. If you want to have somebody do what's called a blood choke on you, that's where they're cutting off the blood flow to uh, your veins and arteries that are going up in the neck. What you want to do is you want to take a class on that and then try it. Now, the other thing is you can lightly put a hand around the neck and then hold your breath, which is a kind of a hybrid option of the first two. Do you have any mm-hmm. comments about this, Sonny? Yeah, I just, you know, want to reiterate that even though choke play can be sexy, and there are some people that really do it to extremes, it is a risky and dangerous activity. Things can go wrong. And if it's something that you really, really, you know, you know the risks, and you're like, but I really, really want to do this anyway, hit up some of your local dungeons, some of your local sex positive centers. There are classes on breath play and choke play that do come up periodically. But just again, know that there are very definite inherent risks with doing this to extremes. And the one big thing that I would say, find out where the location of the hyoid bone is and don't squeeze that. If you're going to do anything else, do that one thing. Don't squeeze your hyoid bone. Mm-hmm. All right. Next question. Is it okay to ingest small amounts of silicone lube during oral? Yes. That's a brief and easy answer to that one. Yes. As long as it's a normal amount, it's during oral Silicone is a hypoallergenic substance. You know what? You can absolutely be sensitive to it, but you can't be allergic to it. And swallowing small amounts of it are actually not very harmful to you. Cool. Yay. Yummy. So here's another question for Sonny. Hey, Sonny, I'm a 50-year-old male and love my wife. We have great sex, but want to sort of spice it up a little bit. I've heard about electrosex. It sounds really interesting and fascinating, and I've watched a few a few videos with my wife to make it a go. My question is, if the male wears it in his penis and enters her vagina, can she feel it as well? And I want to make sure that this is safe. I'm thinking if you use the cock strips, one at the base of the shaft and one like two inches from the other one, and you use a water-based lube, it should conduct the electrical impulse through the whole penis and the lube. She should feel it as well. Is that safe for her? Okay. 
So let me break this down because uh, there's a lot going on here. There are two basic types of electric play when you're dealing with electrosex. One is violet or neon wands. Those are things that are done just on the outside of the body, like on the surface of the skin. That's not something you actually fuck with. So it sounds like what you're talking about is using a TENS unit. So those of you who have gone to the doctor because you had a sore back and they gave you that electric device with the little pads that kind of shocks your back, that's exactly what a TENS unit is. Now, when you are using a TENS unit on your penis, you're talking about putting, you know, one of the pads on one part of your cock, another pad on another part of your cock. She's not going to be able to feel it because how it works is those pads are electrodes and the electricity is going to bounce back and forth between those electrodes on the tissue that it's placed on. So that's on you. Now, what I suggest that you do if you want to fuck using a TENS unit, the TENS unit that Ken and I actually love, it's by MyStem, and they have one um, box called the Tension Lover. And I'm going to put a link to this in our show notes. The Tension Lover box has two inputs. So you can put a set of pads on your cock and you can put a set of pads on her, let's say on either side of her clit or whatnot, and you control it with the same box. So if you want to both have electric stimulation with a TENS unit while you're fucking each other, that's probably the best way to go. What do you think, Ken? I think that sounds absolutely correct. But there's one important side note I would like to add to that, and is that these little gel pads when the electricity goes through them, they only go about one millimeter into the skin from one area to the next. So it's it's exactly like Sonny was talking about. It's being transmitted through the skin, but only about one millimeter in. And in order to achieve that, you've got to put it on fairly dry skin. So that means you can put it on an outer labia. You can put it on a clitoral hood, but you can't put it inside. And it's the same thing if you were to pull back an uncircumcised uh, penis and you were to uh, put it on the wet part, you don't really want to put it there. It's not going to stick in the electricity isn't going to transmit quite as well. Mm -hmm. Another thing you can do if you do want to get electricity up in there, um, they make dildos or butt plugs that have the tense electricity. So let's say you're fucking one hole and in the other hole is some sort of dildo or butt plug. That's something you can do as well. Yep. I was going to, that's exactly what I was going to say. You could both do butt plugs and do team butt plug as you're fucking. Mm -hmm. Next question. My husband had recently told me that he fantasizes about us bringing another man into the bedroom to, quote, pleasure me because he gets off on my pleasure. But I don't know how to feel about that. I know I should have an open mind and I don't want him to feel weird for having that kind of fantasy, but I don't know how to wrap my head around it either. And there's a little like smiley face. Can you help me? So this is something that Sunny actually should talk about, I think. This is something that I think she's more of an expert in, and she actually does coaching sessions for questions just like this one. Sunny, do you want to take this one? Mm-hmm. So this is actually a very surprisingly common fantasy, and there's a lot of reasons why your husband might desire something like this. Now, 
oftentimes this is considered a cuckolding situation. Not always, but it's so, I'm getting the, the feel that's kind of where he's going. Now, in a cuckold situation, the, and typically it's a heterosexual couple, you know, a, a husband and wife or whatnot, the husband gets off on watching their partner fuck another guy, maybe not even watching it, but knowing that their wife has come home having just been freshly fucked by somebody else. Now, sometimes this takes on a very um, heavy, dom, submissive dynamic where the husband is actually submissive or maybe humiliated and belittled like, look, I can go out and get a get someone that fucks much better than you can. Sometimes that husband, if he's in a very submissive position, uh, might like to be there while the wife is getting fucked by the, you know, strong and virile big dick guy right on top of him or he gets to lick out you know the semen that's left in her and sometimes it's just more of a knowing and it's not a humiliating submissive sort of thing but again this is super duper common and there's a number of theories as to why i read a really interesting theory based in evolutionary biology, that when, um, you know, a, a man is uh, involved in a relationship with a, a woman on a permanent basis, let's say husband and wife, that if the woman comes home with the scent, the seed, etc., of another man on her in a biological sense, that's going to make him feel more horny. It's going to kick in what they call sperm competition, where he's suddenly going to want to fuck his wife and like impregnate her and get that other sperm out of there. So in that sense, the theory tells us that it can be a turn on for that reason. Whatever the reason and whether that theory is right or not, or your husband's just more into the kink of it, it's super duper common. It's not weird. Do a little bit of research on um, cuckolding, even hot wife fetish, and that might help you get a little bit more insight on what this is about and what he's asking for. So here is a pretty serious question that we got from somebody. Um, my submissive, who is also my girlfriend, was at a local dungeon and was sexually assaulted by somebody who is a very popular dom at that club. My first reaction was to go beat the guy up. My second reaction was to really think about this. I'm not really sure where to go. Can you help us out, Ken and Sonny? Now, this is a pretty serious subject all the way across the board, but I think it applies, uh, or at least my answer does, to a lot of situations that are similar to this. First and foremost... Whoever the victim is, you need to believe them. The second thing is don't react how you want to react. You need to question the person and talk to them a little bit and find out what they want to have happen. Do they want legal action? Do they want somebody beat up? Do they want the whole situation ignored? Now, regardless of what the ultimate reactions to this are going to be, first and foremost, you have to listen to the victim and find out what they want to have happen happen. That is incredibly important and probably the best advice that I've personally ever been given in a situation like this. Uh, Sonny, what would you say are some other things that people should 
contribute to a situation like that? Well, first of all, I want to reiterate that the BDSM community is not some sort of utopia where it's like, we all negotiate and we're all about consent and this stuff doesn't happen. It is a microcosm of larger society. So you are going to have people that push boundaries, that violate consent, that commit sexual assault. And just like in the outside default world, it's usually popular people, people in positions of power, people that have lots of friends. Those are going to be the same sorts of people you see doing this in the BDSM world. So when you say this is a very popular dom in my local dungeon, unfortunately, that doesn't surprise me. So just being aware of that is important for everybody, absolutely everybody in the community. Now, there are a number of different things you can do. And, and, and as Ken said, this is up to the person who was assaulted. So they should call the shots. There are um, some instances I've seen where there are, um, you know, accountability teams put together and they try to work on some restorative justice. It may be, you know, to a point, I don't know the details of the assault. It could be to the point where you would want it to involve legal action. However, a lot of victims don't go that route because we know that justice isn't really often served when it comes to sexual assault, especially in something like the BDSM community, because we have so much stigma that it's really hard to list to get judges or people in the legal system to actually understand what we do. Um, so yeah, I mean, without more information and knowing what the victim wants. There are so many things that can be done, but overall it's a really fucked up suck, sucky situation. And I'm sorry that it's happened. Yeah. Very sorry that the whole situation happened, but a first good step, just believe them and listen to what they want. Those are the, the, the two most important things you have before you can come up with any plan of action and try not to be reactionary. Like if you, if you can in any situation that is similar to this, if you can think about it, if you have the levity and the privilege to think about it for 24 hours, do that because you're going to be a little bit less reactive to things the following day and you're going to be, be thinking with a clear head. Mm -hmm. And, and I, one thing I want to add is I would encourage the victim to seek out some sort of help, whether it's actually, you know, finding a kink friendly therapist that they can talk to this about and help them formulate what their next steps might be um, to try to get some sort of support system to help that understands the Absolutely. dynamics of sexual assault that can help you kind of pace through it. So the next question, what are some signs of sub drop? What can be done if your submissive drops and can't let you know how to help? So Ken, can you kind of explain what sub drop is before we get into the uh, answer? Sure. Now, a sub drop is something that happens to just about every, and there's also a thing called top drop, which is the counter side of this. But everybody that gets involved with a heavy psychological or heavy physical BDSM scene will get to the point where it's almost like they're going into shock a little bit. So their body is trying to adapt to whatever the situation is. And in some cases, it can seem almost like flu-like instances. Other people kind of space out and they're getting non-communicative. And so the lack of communication is a normal thing for subdrop. Now, I know this doesn't really help that particular situation if they're, if you're in the middle of a scene and they drop, but like communicating ahead of time and asking your sub, Hey, if you get sub drop, normally what happens and what will bring you out of it or what can I do to facilitate you getting to the state that you need to have happen? 
Uh, once you've talked about that, I think I've had some submissives in the past that just they simply wanted to disassociate from everything and they wanted to be a piece of furniture like an ottoman and have me rest their feet on them. I've had other submissives that get hypersexual at that point and they just want to give an orgasm but don't want anything done to them. There's other people I know and I would say this is the majority. If they're a hugger, they like to be hugged and comforted in some way. Um, as far as like, if, if this happens to you when you're doing it, the first thing that you do is you can stop the scene. That would be pretty important. You don't continue a scene if you see somebody dropping and having sub drop. Uh, and you just want to find out what's happening with them. So you can go down there and make sure that all of the normal stuff, their airway and their breathing is happening and that they are responsive in some way. Try to communicate with them. And if they don't communicate and you see that there is an issue, of course, call 911 if you think that it's an emergency. All right. Next one. I get off using the shower head or jets in a whirlpool tub. I've heard this can desensitize my clitoris permanently. Am I causing myself permanent nerve damage this way? You know, it's interesting because this is a discussion that actually recently came up with another sexuality educator, and they were actually searching around trying to find, like, is there any, you know, scientific proof or any research on this? And they were like, you know, huh? I can't find anything definitive. Well, my guess is, I'll tell you why this is, is because there hasn't been a lot of research in sex in general. And when it does come to sex research, a lot of what we know tends to be things about men or penises when it comes to vaginal anatomy or women's sexual health. Um, that's something we really don't know a lot about. But from experience, when it comes to things like a showerhead, and not just my experience, but just you know the, the sexual community at large, when it comes to things like using the detachable showerhead as a clit stimulator, or even using a very strong vibrator like a Hitachi magic wand or original magic wand, a lot of people say like, this is going to permanently cause me damage. No, it won't permanently cause you damage. There are some times where you use these devices and they're so intense that you get a temporary loss of sensation, but it's kind of akin to like, if you were leaning on your arm for a really long time, eventually your arm kind of goes a little numb and starts to fall asleep. But then if you change positions and you give it, you know, a few minutes and shake it off, you're fine again. So it's the same sort of thing. It might cause a very temporary loss of sensation, but once you Stop the activity, give it, you know, 15, 30 minutes, maybe even an hour if it's a really rigorous session, and you're back to normal. Now, another thing that sort of plays into this myth of you can desensitize yourself permanently, oh my God, um, is that when we masturbate the same way every time, all the time, we have this muscle memory where our body gets used to okay, this is the same way I get off every damn time. And it doesn't respond as quickly or as voraciously as it did maybe the first couple times you tried masturbating this way. It's just because your body is used to it. So you know what? Switch to a different toy for a week or two, get off a different way, maybe even go back old school and switch to your hands for a few days. You'll find that then it sort of rewires your muscle memory. So then when you do go back to using that shower head or that Hitachi magic wand, it knocks your socks off like it did the first time you used it. Okay, next question. 
I keep hearing more and more about, I don't know why I suddenly have this like school marm, like, like, I blah, 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 blah. but I'm going to, I'm going to read, I'm going to do voices. Let's do voices. I keep hearing more and more about humiliation play. I just can't believe that many people are into being degraded and belittled, but still get turned on. That doesn't seem sexy at all. Please help me quote, get this fetish. I'm confused. So Sonny and I teach a class called Hilarious Humiliation that's on this exact subject. And it wasn't even at first about humiliation play. The The premise behind this class was we wanted to answer the question for people that were confused about why people would want to be humiliated, degraded, and shamed because it was a common question that had come up for us. So Sonny and I have a great system that we've talked about plenty of times on the podcast, the rough BS system, where one means that fucking sucks, get it away from me, 10 means do it to me again, that was so awesome. All of the letters stand for something different. So R is restrained, O is how much you like to be owned by another person, U, how much you like to be used by somebody else, G, how much do you like to be given away to other people, and it's the H which stands for humiliation. How much do you like to be humiliated by other people that we always had to explain a little bit more in depth? Now, humiliation is a spectrum, and that's the thing that helps people understand this, that it's not just the most degrading things that you can think of. Calling somebody fat or ugly or stupid may not be what they want, but they may, however, desire to feel relief in some uh, instance where they're learning something that they might be scared of that they are something they're attracted to. So an example of humiliation play that we do quite commonly is we put a unicorn mask on somebody and then we force them to sing burlesque songs. So while the burlesque and singing in public may be their fear, when they have that mask on, it restricts their vision. You know, you can only see through like the little nostrils in there. You can't hear very well, but you're feeling this sense of it's just you in a room by yourself. So the audience you don't even focus on. And then you sing your song and what the audience is seeing is somebody who looks absolutely ridiculous with a unicorn mask singing and prancing along to a Disney song. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that there isn't just one type of humiliation. It's very individual to the person. And that when you are engaging in humiliation play, you don't automatically go to like the deepest depths of being insulting and degrading. Oftentimes, it's a playful humiliation. You know, there's a reason that they call it erotic humiliation. So I'll give you a couple examples. Maybe you are um, with your lover and you're a little bit shy and they say, no, stand up for me. And right there in your underwear or naked, I want you to parade around for me and shake your ass and show off what a little slut you are. Well, that's kind of humiliating, but some people listening kind of got a little moist in the pants when I said that, right? So that could be humiliation play. There are tons of different things you can do. Maybe it's humiliating to someone to compliment them and call attention to them. Like, you know, maybe uh, you're in a dungeon or a party scenario and it's like, oh, you know, look at what a, a good little boy you are. Go show everyone how good you are, how cute you are. And even though that seems to be a positive thing, maybe for that person, all of that attention and having the spotlight on them is a little humiliating, but in more of a playful way. So if you think about it that way, that it can be tons of things. It doesn't automatically have to be the thing you hate. 
maybe that'll help you see it a little bit better. You know what's humiliating to me right now? This ambulance the, going that by. Fire truck? That, yes. Yeah, that I know people could hear. But you know what? I'm going to keep going because humiliation is subjective and I'm not going to let it humiliate me. One important note about humiliation play, never do it as pickup play. You only want to do this with somebody that you've learned very well, because as you can tell from what Sonny said, you have to know the person to understand what their particular humiliation is. So do this after a long series of communications and just figuring each other out. Yep. By the way, I will have a link to our rough BS system in the show notes. So if you want to use it, you can. I'm going to be using... A French accent to do this one. Hello, Sonny. I was hoping you could do me a favor. I really want to find out what nipple suckers are for. I've seen cans where you twist the top or ones you just squeeze. What's the difference? And are they for pleasure, pain, or both? Can you make a chat about it or talk about it on one of your other pages? Thank you. P.S. You are awesome. Well, thank you. That was a little hot. I'm a little turned on. We might have to do French accent one time or two, five, ten times. Oh, okay. Do <laughs> Anyway, okay. So nipple suckers. You may have heard of nipple clamps where they're just, you know, pinchy things. You can even go to the dollar store and get a pack of wooden clothespins and use that as, as nipple clamps. Nipple suckers are, um, okay, remember when you were a little kid, right? I had the little tiny juice cup that you used to uh, drink your little Kool-Aid out of. And then inevitably, you would put it up to your mouth and you'd suck all the air out so it would be stuck around your chin and your lips. And then usually you'd pop it off and there'd be a red circle around your mouth. You all know exactly what I'm talking about. That's how nipple suckers work, but they're smaller and they go right over your nipples. So then when they're on you and they create that vacuum suction, they're sort of pinching and drawing out the nipples, filling them with blood, swelling them up. So are they for pain or for pleasure? Yes. (laughs) And that's really subjective depending on the person that's doing it and how sensitive their nipples are, how they perceive pain and pleasure, because for a lot of us, they're kind of, you know, one and the same. And uh, how intense the nipple suckers you're using are. So why are they fun? Well, they feel good when they engorge your nipples and they fill them with blood. And it's the same feeling as when you get really hard nipples or someone's playing with them and you're like, like you could cut diamonds with them, but it's sort of on overdrive. But for a lot of people, the fun comes, whether it's a, a nipple sucker or a nipple clamp, actually when you take the device off. Because what you've done, let's say in the case of a nipple clamp, you've squeezed it, right? And suddenly, when you let go, all of the blood flow comes back into that area. So suddenly, they're super sensitive. You can just like blow air onto those nipples. And just the feeling of that that breath is 20 times as intensive as it may have been Otherwise, if you just lightly touch them, they're so much more sensitive. So nipple toys are super fun. They're not gendered. You can be a woman, a man. You can be gender nonconforming. It doesn't matter. Most of us have nipples. And if we like to play with them, go for it. 
Hey, Sonny, hope your day slash evening is going well. Sex-related question here. I'm 21 female and have never had a clitoral orgasm. Now, I seem to get close. Oh, and there was a like a, a frowny face there. Uh, so the frowny face emoticon, then I seem to get close. I have to use a strong bullet vibe like the Wii Vibe Tango and get really pinpoint precision and not move. I get the warm sensation and the breathlessness and the slight muscle contractions, but it doesn't seem to have the powerful reaction that I've heard and read about. It's not that I'm going to go by what I've seen in porn. I've studied biology and reproduction at college and understand that porn isn't as real as it looks. I also work in a sex toy shop, so I know my way around about all this, all the different products. I've tried relaxing. I've tried being as horny as possible. I've tried with and without partners. I've tried having multiple ones to see if they get stronger, etc., but nothing seems to be working. Am I either just having an orgasm, but it's not anywhere near as powerful as imagined it would be, or am I just not getting there? Frowny face. Any advice I could get would be amazing. Also, tried the doxy ones and the womanizers, but they don't get me even close. And it's interesting because the next question after this is almost identical. It's from someone who um, is assigned female at birth. Again, I have never orgasmed. Help. Okay, so this is an amazingly common question that I get a lot. Now, the first questioner, questionnaire, whatever I call question people, you've told me what you've done and you seem very well educated. You've tried all sorts of different toys. You have a, a good sense of anatomy, you know, sexual response, that sort of thing. Second uh, question, questioner, I don't know what you have and haven't tried. So addressing the first question, you know, my my first thing would be like, well, what have you tried? Maybe you actually aren't having an orgasm. I know you've tried all these things. So my thought is maybe you are having an orgasm. Now, a lot of us tend to think like our orgasms have to be super duper strong. Everybody is different. And that could be at different times in your life. It could be because you're taking certain medications. Um, there's all sorts of different reasons. Now, for I'm going to tell you personally, for me, my orgasms used to be like, whoa, you know, I'm going to just pass the hell out. They're super duper strong. Everything, you know, my whole labia is like throbbing. Like you could see it like boom, boom, boom. They were super intense. And usually I could have just one orgasm and then I was done. Like just don't touch me down there at all. As I've aged, it's kind of interesting watching my body change. Now my body's orgasms are kind of almost like what you describe, like I'm getting close, I think I'm there, and then it's, when it happens, I'm almost like, did it just happen? I, I'm not sure. It's not like, you know, kick you in the head. So you very well could be having orgasms and yours aren't as strong. I would also suggest engaging different parts of your vaginal anatomy. You talked a lot about clit things. Although most people with clitorises come from clit stimulation, I think the statistic is like 80%. That's not everybody. So have you tried using G-spot stimulation, internal stimulation, even sometimes anal stimulation at the same time may make your orgasms bigger, stronger, etc. So I would say try that and see if it changes your orgasms, maybe orgasms, we're not sure, or helps you determine if they are orgasms or not.
Next question. I believe I have the smallest penis ever. But then again, who really knows? LOL. I have this big fetish about being tied up and blindfolded in a room with a bunch of chicks laughing and humiliating me as my baby penis is exposed. Why do I get off on being humiliated like this? Having a small dick is supposed to be the worst thing for a guy. Earlier, I told you about a new modern sex essentials company called Maud. Check them out at GetMod.com and get 15% off with code SUNNY. Now, I've tested and reviewed hundreds of sex toys and have worked with and for some of the biggest names in the industry. In other words, it's really difficult to impress me with pleasure products. You know what I mean? So I got Mod Kit number seven. That includes a 10-pack of ultra-thin condoms, an 8-ounce jar of organic water-based lube, and a silicone vibrator. It blew me away. Mod's products are well-made, all FDA approved and body safe. I've been using their organic water-based lube on the daily and it doesn't gum up, dry out or irritate me. Um, new favorite. Their silicone vibrator is like a jackhammer. I also love Maud's aesthetic. None of that pink crap and obnoxious packaging. Maud is sleek, modern, simple, unisex, and comes in neutral colors. Visit them at getmod.com and get 15% off using code SUNNY. Oh, and Maud, thank you for giving me, who's tried nearly everything, a different and refreshing sexy experience. Castle Megastore. Once you see their sex toys, you'll want more. I have no idea if Castle Megastore actually has a theme song, but I really dig Castle Megastore. So that's my gift to you, Castle, your very own theme song. And you listeners get a gift too. If you go to CastleMegastore.com and use discount code SUNNY, that's S-U-N-N-Y, when you check out, you will receive 20% off your order. That's amazing. Castle Mega store. When you get your sex toys, you'll be on the floor because you'll be using them so much and they'll be so awesome and you'll save so much money. You'll get more than one and then you'll climax for a really long time and you'll just be passed out and you'll be like, oh my God, give me water. That was the best orgasm ever. Small penis humiliation. SPH for short. It is surprisingly common. I did a video on it, and I'm going to leave that video link in the show notes. But yeah, I mean, everyone says, oh my God, that's supposed to be the most humiliating thing to have a small penis. There are so many male-identified people that engage in small penis humiliation, and they're not necessarily people that actually have smaller than average penises. Well, why? Why do they like this sort of humiliation? And again, notice this comes up, humiliation. Uh, Of course, this is consensual. Not everyone with a penis likes this, but the people that do, one of the theories is, and there's many different theories as to why people might be into this. Think about when you're being, when you're socialized as a male, and you're growing up, and you're in the gym locker room, that's one of the things that you're most focused on. Like, do I stack up compared to the other boys? You know, or when you have your first girlfriend, are they going to laugh at me? Have they seen other penises before? Is mine okay? It becomes something that a lot of growing teenage boys obsess about 
as they're developing sexually. So maybe let's say they've had an instance where they've been teased by a girlfriend or the other boys in the locker room. Sometimes the wires in their brain cross that with sexual stimulation. And then later in life, it becomes this fetish. And a lot of men are like, what the hell is wrong with me? This is weird. Okay, so fantasies are not politically correct. They're not necessarily logical according to how your brain works when you're not horny and turned on, but it doesn't make them any less valid. So know that it's a thing. It's a fantasy. It's okay, no matter what size your penis actually is. Do a little bit more research on SPH or small penis humiliation, and mm, I think you'll feel really, really normal, and you'll probably find some really good stuff to stumble upon that'll uh, make you excited too. Next question. If I am looking for an extra no-strings relationship, what would you suggest? Now, this is a really interesting question, and it depends on a number of things, but I think that I can answer this as long as you're in non-committed relationships and you're non-monogamous, which I think is what you're asking about. It's as simple as checking a box on a dating app. If you go to OkCupid, they have a non-monogamy choice there. It is then your responsibility to then inform the people that you're setting up non-monogamous relationships that you don't want any strings attached and that you may just want this to be a one-time thing. And there's plenty of people out there that want the exact same thing that you do, but just communicate it honestly and openly. And I think that you'll find that you're actually going to be way more successful than you ever thought was possible. There are also great um, resources at fetlife.com, such as uh, hookup boards in your local area. So like we live in Chicago, there's one called Chicago Area Local Hookups, or it might be called Daytime Connections, or it may be called NSA, no strings attached. There are plenty of those at FetLife and any sort of kink website that's similar to it. Yep. Next question. My husband has become a daddy dom to another person. I'm not in this lifestyle and it's very confusing. It's been four months and it's the four worst months of my life. Are there any boundaries in this thing or do they just do what they want? I'm trying to find out what the rules and rights that I even have are, or is my marriage over due to the baby girl? Please help. Wow. Okay. So this one actually was a comment left on a Daddy Dom Baby Girl article that I have on SunnyMegatron.com. And this one tells me there is a big problem here. There are huge glaring red flags. When we talk about BDSM or polyamory, open relationships, any of that stuff, first of all, communication is essential. Consent on the part of all partners is essential. If all partners aren't in agreement with what's going on, what's going on shouldn't be happening. So what I'm telling you right now is the brakes have to go on on this thing and conversations need to be had. If you're not happy with what's happening, if you're not happy that your relationship is open then maybe that's something that your partner shouldn't be engaging in. If maybe you are okay with it, they're just not explaining to you what's going on and you don't understand the rules, and maybe you'd be fine once there was open, clear, honest communication. That's another thing as well. But regardless of whether it's one of those things or something else, red flags, 
there is something wrong here. You know, and I might want to add something to that. As somebody who's been a daddy dom myself, as a daddy dom, it's your fucking job to explain the rules first like a daddy. So that means that everybody is in agreement. They know what all of the things are in advance. Everybody's been communicated with. And just like Sonny said, make sure that everybody is consentful of whatever the situation is once you have those rules. And remember, Consent can be revoked at any time, and there's nothing wrong with just saying, hey, this doesn't mean it's the end of everything, but like, I want to revoke my consent for right now because I want to talk to you and to this other person, and let's all sit down and have a conversation about what our relationship means now. Mm-hmm. Next question. Hi, Sonny. I'm looking for a good cock ring. Can you recommend one? Well, I could, but Ken's got the cock, and he really has the favorite cock ring, so Ken... What do you suggest? Um, There are a variety of different styles and sizes of cock rings. Now, they can be made out of a number of materials. I've seen them made out of metal, stone, silicone. Uh, There's been plenty of plastic ones. Leather ones are amazing. Uh, And there's just a couple of basic things. First of all, obviously, don't get anything you're allergic to. So if you're looking at metal, you want to get something that's like um, a surgical stainless steel or a high-grade professional medical quality aluminum. Either one of those are going to be great. In particular, I'm a fan of the teardrop cock rings because they do two things. They not only uh, restrict the blood flow that goes into your penis, but they also, with the teardrop, that area extends down towards the external prostate, and it sort of gives you an external prostate massage at the same time, thus increasing your orgasm. There's a couple things that you should know about measuring. One, you can either put it around the shaft of the erect penis, or you can restrict the blood flow around the cock and the balls. And that's actually the way that I prefer to do it because you're getting more stuff and it's a better feeling at once. Plus, when you get something that's like a teardrop cock ring, that extends down and gives you that external prostate massage. But measure, uh, see what size you need. And you can just, like when you look at your penis, you it's going to look a little bit smaller to you than it actually is because of optical illusions. So... If you think you have an average size penis, get the medium if you are, if there, if there is a size choice. Many times there's three sizes. Uh, if you're on the smaller side of things, get the small, medium size, get the medium. If you're large to huge, get the large size. And as always, everything we talk about, I'm going to have links in the show notes. So I'll have a link to Ken's very favorite teardrop cock ring in the show notes at americansexpodcast.com. All right. Next question. Hi, Sonny. I'm a huge fan of yours. My partner and I want to try BDSM, but we don't know what to do. And I was wondering, do you have any tips for us? Well, that's a tall order. You have a lot of learning to do, and I would suggest starting out slow. But it sounds like you have a healthy outlook and you're eager to learn. First of all, it's important to talk, 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 talk to each other. I would suggest starting with filling out a yes, no, maybe list. I'll have a link in the show notes to our kinky yes, no, maybe list. Um, And basically what yes, no, maybe lists are, it's a list of a bunch of activities and you answer with each other. You know, let's say it's like um, spanking. You say, yes, 
I would like to do that. No, I will never want to do that in a million years. That's a hard limit, non-negotiable. Or you know what? Maybe I'm a little apprehensive, but I might be willing to experiment with it under the right circumstances. So you use each one of your answers together to open up a platform to talk a little bit more about that certain activity, find out if you're both on the same page, and if it's something you would like to incorporate into your kink with each other. I also recommend when you're learning BDSM, especially when you're learning techniques like how to spank, how to throw a flogger, how to spank with a paddle, those sorts of things, you have casual kind of R&D nights where you're not trying to be sexy spanking. You're in your living room, in your yoga pants, you know, maybe like eating a bowl of popcorn and you're like, let's try spanking. And let's say, you know, you spank your partner and they give you feedback like, oh, that's kind of nice or whoa, that's too hard for me. And you get a a feel for each other. Like when I spank you like this, how hard does it hurt on a scale from one to 10? One being it doesn't hurt at all. 10 is like, oh my God, that's horrible. So you can kind of get a gauge for their pain levels and what they like. And you're not under the pressure of doing it in an otherwise sexy situation. So then when you do put it together, you can, you know, get right down to business. I highly recommend also uh, watching my BDSM 101 series on YouTube. I'll have a link to that. And also an online learning center called Kink Academy. You can get to it at bit.ly slash kink academy. There are close to 200 of the world's most sought after BDSM instructors, including Ken and myself. And uh, there's over 2000 videos. Anything you want to learn, you can find there. I highly recommend it. And you can also go back and listen to the episode that we had Princess Callie on a while back. Mm -hmm. Princess Callie is the head of Kink Academy. Hi, Sonny. I need some advice. I love and I'm very attracted to my man, but I can't climax. I can if he eats me out, but that's it. I get very wet and I stay wet, but I can't come and it's very frustrating. He's even noticed it and I don't want this to discourage him. By the way, I've noticed this issue with the father of my kids as well. Help. All right. So first of all, there's a couple of of kind of steadfast rules that everyone should keep in mind for all of sex. Don't make your sex be so goal oriented. First of all, like it's not like, oh, my God, sex isn't good unless we've had an orgasm. Uh, orgasm isn't proof of your worth, how well you've done. Sometimes sex is fun without the orgasm. But secondly, it sounds like you are concerned because even though you come when you have clitoral stimulation being eaten out, you're not coming when you're having intercourse. This is incredibly common. The statistic says 80% of people with vaginas can't orgasm unless they have clitoral stimulation. So in other words, expecting to come from penetrative sex alone probably won't get you an orgasm statistically. And that's perfectly okay. You're normal. It doesn't mean you love your partner any less. It's just the way your body works and about 80% of the population's body works. Okay, we have a couple of questions coming up here about balls, which I kind of like. Yeah. The first one, <laughs> I'm feeling a little uninspired in the blowjob department lately. What are some new tips or tricks I can use to make things a bit more exciting? Thanks. So my answer obviously has something to do with balls. One of the great benefits um, of 
teaching a lot of these classes that we do is that I get to be the recipient of some of Sunny's magic hands. And it's not just her mouth that makes her blowjobs fantastic. It's actually her hands and her mouth in combination. Um, she has a very small jaw, which is super common that people sometimes can't open their mouths very wide. So if your dentist uses like um, one of the smaller pedo bite blocks that they put in that they normally use for kids, that's actually fairly common because there's a lot of people that just can't open their jaws wide. So what do you do? And it's the same issue. Uh, to turn your blah job into a blow job, play with the balls a little bit more. Use your hands in a very wet, twisty motion. You can do things like using a sex toy. Uh, if it's somebody who hasn't tried it before, one of the great ones is the Tenga egg. Is sort of a rubbery material that stretches over the cock and it has little bumps and ridges on the inside. So you can give sort of a hand job to go along with your blow job and then pull that off and use the spit as lubricant for that. Sunny has a million tricks and tips that she teaches in our world's greatest blow job class. But Sunny, can I get you to give three of them for this subject? Okay. So first of all, uh, making your mouth an extension of your hand. So having your hand and your mouth work together at the same pace, at the same speed, at the same twisting, the person with the dick isn't really going to be able to tell the difference between your mouth and your hand. Another thing is making sure your blowjobs are incredibly wet. Oftentimes the use of a little bit of lube. I prefer silicone lube. So we get back to that question. Is it safe to ingest silicone lube? Yes. Silicone lube has a lot of staying power. So it'll keep slick and slippery. So one, things move along better. Two, things feel better. And three, it's easier to make your hands feel like your mouth when things are nice and wet and slippery. And the third thing is enthusiasm. I know that, you know, a lot of us, if we're like, I don't know about blowjob, like you, not that you don't want, you should never do something you don't want to do. But let's say you you want to give a good blowjob, but you're like, I'm unsure of myself. I don't know what I'm doing. That comes across. So even if you have to kind of fake the enthusiasm, add some moans like, mm, look up at your partner. You know, there's nothing like looking down, seeing your partner looking up with wide eyes with their cock in your mouth. So some of those little things that have nothing to do with your actual technique, just that enthusiasm can make that blowjob feel so much better to the recipient. Now, the next question, very similar. I don't like balls. I want to learn how to put them in my mouth when I'm giving a blowjob and actually like it, but I can't. They freak me out. Help. So now this this is a, a question that's actually pretty common. Like balls are foreign. You know, if you're somebody with a vagina, you don't have your own balls and you're like, I don't know what these, they kind of move sometimes. I They hurt when I touch them, right? Like, what do I do? How do I put them in my mouth without like squeezing them? There's a lot of questions there. So to understand how the scrotal sac feels and is put together, it is the same skin as your labia. So if you have a vagina, your inner labia, so your inner lip, your labia minora, that little kind of wrinkly skin, you know, if you like pinch it, not with your fingernails, but with the flats of your fingers, you can put a lot of pressure on it and it's not really that bad. Or you can tug on them and pull them and it's like, kind of feels kind of good. Balls, specifically the scrotal sac, 
will respond and feel the same way. However, the balls, don't squeeze those too hard because you can pop them like grapes, right? Those are the ones that are a little bit more sensitive. So if you're giving a blowjob, maybe take nice wet hands and kind of like tug on the scrotal sac just really lightly, kind of you know, tug on your own labia to see what feels good and do that same sort of thing. If you're licking the balls, the same sort of pressure, or if you're actually bringing the testicles themselves into your mouth, just kind of a slow, put them in your mouth, roll your tongue around, don't squeeze too hard. Um, so again, sort of that fake it till you make it, don't seem apprehensive, try a few things, or have one of those what I call optometrist sex nights where you just kind of experiment and you get down with your partner. You know how your optometrist goes, what do you like, thing one or thing two? Do that with balls. Okay, if I lick like this, do you like thing one where I'm licking like this or thing two where I'm licking like this? And actually have, you know, a half an hour where your partner instructs you on what actually feels good with you licking and touching the ball. So then when you're actually given a real blowjob, you feel confident about what you're doing. So there are, there are a couple things that I would add to what Sony said. First of all, something that makes balls unpleasant. Uh, there's two things that I can think of that anybody has control over right away. Number one, have the person shave their balls. Second, have them wash the balls. Now, you don't need to wash them excessively, but a little soap and water never hurt anybody. Usually those are the two biggest objections. But if your objection is that they move on their own, that is a response to heat and pain, depending on what's happening. Now, there's two muscles that you should know about there. In addition to all the veins and arteries and nerves that are in there, the dartos muscle is the one that makes the scrotum wrinkly, and it moves the testicles within the scrotum. And the second one is the cremaster muscle, which lowers and raises the entire scrotum. So it sometimes looks like it's moving around, and that's because it is moving around. Now, this is what makes balls very different than any part on somebody that has a vulva is that they are in a way like the scrotum is very similar to labia, but there are some minor differences. The first and foremost would be that heat is the primary thing that affects the movement and the motion of the scrotum where it doesn't happen that way with the labia. Now you, so if you want it to stop moving as much, get a more uh, cool environment. If it seems to be moving a lot, it's either because it is trying to get warmer and the balls are tucking in, or if it's super hot, like it is now in the summer, they're trying to expand a little bit. That's my favorite muscle, by the way, because even though it's the cremaster muscle in my brain, I say it cream master, like cream master, because it's the balls and it makes the cream. So there you go. That's true. <laughs> the cream master muscle. <laughs> I'm the cream master. You totally are. All right. Next question. If I ever change my name on FetLife again, it's going to be the cream master, <laughs> but spelled like the muscle. <laughs> What should I do if my boyfriend isn't willing to do the kinky things I would like him to? Well, this this is a big old depends. You know, what have you already talked about? What kind of things are we talking? I'm going to refer you back to a couple questions ago. Like, we're learning about kink. What should we do? My first question is, have you talked? Do you have good communication tools about kink? Have you sat down and filled out a yes, no, maybe list? In addition to the one Ken and I have about kink, there's another great kind of all-purpose yes, no, maybe list. It has a lot of vanilla activities, but I think it's important for couples to do, whether you're kinky or not. It's by Autostraddle. I'll have the link in the show notes. Um, go ahead and do those things. If that's all done, 
and your boyfriend is still like, I don't want to do the thing you don't want to do, then he doesn't want to do it. Then, you know, that's where consent comes in. You can sometimes come to a compromise. For instance, let's say you really want heavy corporal punishment. You really want to be beaten. And he's like, no, you know, we've done all the communicating. I've done all the learning. That's not something I'm interested in. And I don't want to do it. Break down your desire for that kink to your core need. Do Let's say you want corporal punishment because you want to feel that you have pleased your partner or your dominant, that you are enduring something for them. And it it is a display of how much you love and care for them that you're willing to endure something so painful for them. Let's say that's your motivation. Well, maybe you can come to a compromise. Once he realizes, oh, that's what you're looking for out of this. How about instead of me beating you, because I don't like beating people, we do a domestic service. You serve me, you, you know, you you get me things, you kneel at my feet, maybe you worship my cock, that sort of thing. So you're still getting that emotional need that you want, but you're doing it in a way that your other partner, that your partner enjoys and consents to. Last question. Once you have had, and this is in all caps, the perfect dick in parentheses. It's big and he knew what to do with it. How do you go back to liking average sized dick? Now, first and foremost, I think you have to think about what is a perfect dick for you. And there are really just four easy factors to determine what that is. Is it circumcised or uncircumcised is the first. The second thing uh, is the dick. Does it have hardness? The third thing, does it have girth? The fourth, does it have length? Now, once you've taken a look at those four factors, you've determined which is the perfect dick for you just by knowing about it. You should know that any vulva can accommodate any cock. And now, Sonny, you write a lot about this. So why don't you take it over from there? Okay. So first, I got to I got to give a caveat about size. Not everybody prefers the biggest, giantest, thickest, girthiest dick out there. Yes, there are some people that do prefer larger cocks, and there are some people that don't. Actually, if you're looking for G-spot stimulation, a smaller, slightly wider kind of curved cock is actually the, quote, perfect cock. But again, everybody has their individual preferences, and every cock is good to somebody. However, if you are what they call a, quote, size queen and you really like the big dick, sometimes you move on in life and you just find the one dick, right? Doesn't Maybe for you, it's a big one. Maybe for you, it's a, a curved, smaller one. Whatever it is, it fits you like a glove, like a puzzle piece, right? I call that my four-leaf clover cock, right? You, all cocks are not going to be like that. And we all are either the person or have friends who are the person that stay with the not so great boyfriend, right? The not healthiest person because they dick you down so good, right? Uh, not every dick is going to be like that. And this is where I say, learn to bring in toys, Learn to find lovers that are willing to experiment, willing to talk about sex, willing to recognize that they must be lifelong learners when it comes to sex. Because, hey, the perfect puzzle piece dick for you may be nice, but it's not everything. 
And you can get that same stimulation in many other ways using many other different tools. And I might add that no big cock is worth it if it's attached to a walking asshole. Exactly. <laughs> just, just a walking, talking asshole. Yes, exactly. Because we've all done that. We've all stayed with someone because of the dick. And then we look back and we're like, that was a bad mistake. But the dick's so good. Just don't do it. Step away from the nope, dick. Nope. Yep, Step yep, away yep. from the dick. So this has been fun. I, I this was I, we had some great questions. Yeah, I really enjoyed you know sitting down actually answering all the questions. Every once in a while during our intros, we might take a question here and there and answer it. But I I, I just I, I love questions. I love questions. So if you want to, sub- she does. She loves questions. I do. It might be a fetish. Might be a fetish. If you want to submit your sex question, you can do so by writing into American Sex Podcast. Dot com. Or if, you, if you're if you on the toppy side of things, you can dom that question. You don't have to submit. <laughs> I was like, where are you going with this? That's good. All right. Um, so you can also call 773-MUFF-TOY. But I got to say something about that number. So this is the type of calls we've been getting at that number. We have an important message from Complete Payment Recovery Services. This is a call from a debt collector. So people aren't really calling the number to ask sex questions or they're hanging up. Like it might be because this is a Skype number. Okay. And Skype took away where you can be like, hi, you've reached American sex podcast question line. Leave your message. Boop. It just goes, this is a Skype number. Boop. So maybe y'all aren't leaving questions because of that, but start using it. Cause what they say, use it or lose it. Like that costs us money to maintain. So use seven, seven, three. I'm voting on team. Lose it. I'm voting yeah. for team. Lose it. I'm going to give them a chance. If we have that. I'm going to give them a care. chance until our next bill is due. Every, One less bill. Every three months. So One less bill. Yeah. So, all right, American fuckers. We'll, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. Bye everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.